Yesterday I was at a baby shower. Actually, I was leaving my sister-in-law's house. And one of the ladies who had come in and had talked to Elizabeth before she talked to me, and she greeted me, and she said, well, you must be Mr. Elizabeth. <laughs> and I said, you know what, I, I would be proud to be called Mr. Elizabeth. Um, I, I praise God for a godly wife and a godly friend. Uh, gentlemen, when you're looking for a wife, um, look for a lady like that, that will not walk behind you, will not walk in front of you, but will walk by your side. And, uh, and sometimes that means she'll get in my face and say, hey, you know what, you're wrong about that, or think about this, or you know what, you were right on track with that, and that's great. Uh, I count it a privilege to be uh, married to my best friend. So, gentlemen, look for that. Um, you're headed that way. Not, o- not only the Donut Church, I actually talked to a buddy of mine yesterday who's up in Washington State. I gave him a call, and he kind of knew my itinerary, and he said, uh, Hey, are you, are you at the Chuck E. Cheese Church tomorrow? <laughs> and uh, I, I, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't know if that insults you or not, but I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm at the Chuck E. Cheese Church tomorrow. And, and I love that. Hey, I, I love that this morning when I sat in the back, I could look around. And, you know, my kids, especially when they were younger, they loved Chuck E. Cheese. We, we were there in Southern California all the time. So, I mean, I can picture it. I can see Chuck E. I can do the whole deal, you know, the pizzas. And I tell you what I love about that. I love that you can come and you can worship God, honor each other, share the good news, and, and hopefully not take yourself too seriously. Ho- hopefully realize that, you know what? This place was a Chuck E. Cheese, and people came here for all sorts of reasons. Hopefully they still come here for all sorts of reasons and hear the truth about Jesus. Hopefully that's a cool thing. So, you know, I, when we go in for donuts, I always think, hey, this is probably where the pizzas were made, you know. And when I'm out there with all our stuff, which you're welcome to drop by, grab a new armband. We do not have new prayer cards. Um, they'll be coming out. I know the ones we have, which uh, I, I hope are somewhere on your refrigerator. Um, when you get that food, you can see us and, and think to yourself, man, these, these guys need a new picture. And, and you're right. We do need a new picture. It was taken a couple years ago, um, but we'll have a new one. We'll be home this summer. Uh, every two years, we get a chance to come home for two months. Um, for those of you that, that have zero idea um, who we are, my name is Phil, and that's my wife, Elizabeth, and we are the Paines. We have four children. Um, my two oldest are growing. They're all growing way too fast. My two oldest are sophomores in high school. And they're twins, boy and a girl. And then Natalie is uh, my other daughter. She's in eighth grade. And then Austin is in fifth grade. He sort of is the king of the roost. You know, he runs the house and whatever Austin wants, Austin is the king. So he, uh, they're all doing great. We live in Quito, Ecuador. And uh, we uh, made, a, made a decision to, to jump international. We, I grew up actually not too far from here in Fremont, um, just over the hill and went to high school and um, came to Jesus when I was in, in uh, as a, a young person with my dad. I was eight years old. And I had the privilege of just going through great youth ministry. I had a great youth pastor at our church, and um, he really got involved in, in my life and really left an impression and, you know, helped me figure out that, you know, this is what, what God thinks and this is who God is. And, and he really, uh, along with godly parents, really was a, a huge part of my life. And, and I went away to college and uh, got involved with youth ministry um, right away, got involved in college, got involved, um, came back up here, lived in San Jose for a number of years, doing youth ministry, hanging out with teenagers, and, and really just trying to do that, trying to say, you know what, life's confusing sometimes, and, and, and the Bible's you know, tough to understand sometimes, and, and really got involved with students, moved eventually to Southern California, and in 
1998, God kind of opened up our eyes to challenge us to think about youth ministry on an international basis and to realize that there's some great youth ministries like this church has, people working with students here in the U.S., but outside the U.S., that, that's, not, that's not true. In fact, a huge percentage, 97% of the world's youth workers are here in the U.S., um, which is phenomenal, but they're working with 3% of the world's youth. And so when you begin to look outside the U.S. And, and look at places like South America, there's just not a whole lot of youth ministry happening. And so God sort of put it upon our hearts just to say, you know, what would you think about doing that? And it wasn't, uh, wasn't a mystical thing. He didn't write it in the sky. It wasn't, you know, lightning. It just was God saying, you know what, Boy, would you think about, you know, moving? And God brought some people into our lives that said, you know, here's what we're doing. And we're involved with youth ministry on a hands-on basis. And we're involved in training youth ministry leaders. And it's our dream and our passion that we would change that number by the grace of God, by the greatness of God, that someday maybe there would be 96% of the world's youth workers in the U.S. And there would be 4% out or 5% or 10%. It's really our dream and our passion to say, you know what, we want to see trained youth workers in every country around the world. That's what we dream about. That's when we sit and say, you know what, God, you're huge. I don't know how this would happen, but that's what we dream about. Help us start with Ecuador. Help us start with South America. But we want to dream about that. We want to see trained youth workers um, work, reaching out to students. There are, are a ton of students all around the world that deserve the right to hear the gospel. And so that's what we're about. That's what we're doing in Quito. We've been down since July of 99. And loving life. Having a great time. Um, God's blessing our ministry. We're seeing uh, Great things happening in churches, great things happening in students' lives, great things happening with short-term teams uh, in Quito. And so when we get that question, hey, would you move back? Are you, are you there for long term? And, and kind of our standard answer is that that's where God has us. And that's, you know, our, we're, we're enjoying ministry. We're loving what we're doing. Uh, our kids love being there. God's blessing what we're doing. And so short of the fact that we do not have in and out um, in Quito, uh, we, we do not have some of the cool things that are here. We, we're doing okay. Um, and uh, there are some great things. There are uh, some amazing privileges of living internationally. So thank you for uh, the chance to be here with you guys. It is, it is great to come, whether it's the Donut Church or Chuck E. Cheese or just a place where people get together that love Jesus. That's a cool thing. So, Hey, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And really, I just want to share with you this morning for a few minutes just really what God's been challenging me with and teaching me. I think sometimes it's awful easy to uh, look and say, wow, they're, they're missionaries. You know, they're whatever you, all the words that go along with that in your mind. I don't know. But I would love to just be a regular guy this morning. I would love to just be um, somebody a lot like you that has a wife and has kids and desires to serve God with my life and has great moments and I have poor and, and moments that I wouldn't want to share with you. And so for a few minutes, I'd love to just journey with you and, and challenge you to think about some of the things that God has challenged me to think about out of Colossians chapter 4. Let me pray and then I want to read starting in verse 2, 2 and we'll zero in on 4. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this place. Not so much the building, Lord. I, I don't think the building really matters, but I, I think the people really matter to you. And so I thank you for that. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's different than any other book 
in any Barnes and Noble or Borders or Christian bookstores. Lord, the, the, there's tons of books all in the world, but thank you that this book is different. Thank you that it's written not by a man or a woman, but it's written by you. You moved people. You put upon their hearts and their minds. You used your spirit in a way that, truthfully, we don't really even understand. But you tell us that your word is alive. It's active. It gets into our thoughts, our attitudes, our hearts. And so, Lord, we would just ask that that would happen this morning. Lord, use it. Long, long beyond the few minutes that we have here. This afternoon, tonight, even this week. Take the truth from Scripture and truth that I'll have a privilege to talk about, the truth that was talked about during the Bible memorization, the truth that people here have read this morning and this week. Use that truth to change our lives, that we'd be more like you. And Lord, thanks that your Spirit is here, and we just invite Him to, to speak to us. Again, not in a weird way, but just in a way that, that He goes to work on our hearts and our minds. Reminds us of things, reminds us of Jesus' words. Lord, thanks for the opportunity I have to stand here and just to share what you've been teaching me, but I pray that you would, again, speak. Lord, in and of myself, I have nothing to say. But thanks that you have a lot to say. So say it. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 4. If you're familiar with Colossians, you know that this book was written by a guy named Paul. He was in prison. Paul, you know, he's got a, had a lot of things going on. He's written a big chunk of the New Testament. And, and this particular time, he's found, finds himself in prison. And he had been with some people in Colossae. And he writes back to the Colossian church. And he says this in verse 2 of Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. See, that's why he was in jail. He was committed to preaching the gospel. And you know that people in the government said, you know what, that's not okay. Don't do that. And he said, well, I have to. That's what I'm about. That's my heart. That's my passion. That's my life. That's, that's who I am. God radically changed my life, and I can't keep from talking about it. To individuals in public from, you know, places. And finally, they said, okay, if that's what you're going to do, we're going to put you in jail. And so that's where he ends up. He ends up in jail here. It's a sobering question to ask ourselves. Would we go that far? If it's suddenly, you know, or whatever, and, you know, you can't do this. Now, there's other kinds of jail. Sometimes there's the jail of popularity. There's the jail of people's opinion. And sometimes we choose, you know what, I'm not going to go there because that's too threatening to me. Paul says, you know what, I, I'm willing to go there. And, and obviously he was. He ended up in jail, but then he offers this Extra bit in verse 4 where he says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray that I would proclaim it clearly as I should. That's the verse I want to zero in on. This is kind of what God has been hitting me between the eyes with. And so for a few minutes, let me share that. If we take this verse apart, it's pretty simple. We know that prayer is important. Even as Elizabeth said, you know what? God God works. And God works as I pray for you and as you pray for me, as we pray for each other. There, there's a whole world that, that we don't see and we're not aware of. It's, it's what God does. And God says, you know what, I will work, I will move, I will, I will be at work if you pray. And a lot of times I think God's not at work because we don't pray. 
think a lot of times God wants to do more things in our lives and, and we don't ask. We don't, we don't commit ourselves to saying, God, I'm not sure how this whole thing works, but you, you go to work. You go to work in my kids' lives. You go to work where I work. You go to work in my marriage. You go to work whatever it is. God, I, I, I want to commit myself to prayer. Paul says here to the Colossians people, pray. Pray. We, we know about that. It's pretty simple. He says pray. It's important that I. Paul takes some personal responsibility here. Boy, if ever there was a time for Paul to say, you know what, I, I've worked hard and now I'm in jail and I don't really have an opportunity to preach. He says, you know what, even in jail, pray that I. Personal responsibility. Again, I think sometimes for us it's, it's easy to say, well, that's, that's not my deal. I'm, I'm, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, I'm, I'm not up front, and I don't even wear a tie. I, 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 can't, I can't share the gospel. I think as we look at opportunities and we look at God's word, there, there needs to be a personal responsibility for each one of us. We, we cannot say that it's not my gift. It's, it's, not, it's not what I'm good at. It, it's, it's somebody else's deal. No, Paul takes personal responsibility. Pray that I, each one of us, may proclaim. You know what pro- proclamation is? It's, it's to make something known. It's to say, you know what? Boy, the Giants are my team. And to proclaim it. Proclaim that they got all the way there and then choked. Man, that's a little difficult to swallow. But where that does, it still hurts, I agree. But, you know, we proclaim all sorts of things. We say it out loud. We're driving in the car and we proclaim, let's go to Starbucks. You know what? Whoa, way to go, Raiders. Let's not bring them up either, huh? It's a little painful as well. We know what proclaiming is. It's just to make it known clearly. Paul says, make it known clearly. This is a word that means to bring it into focus. It's to bring it into focus, to make it clear for us to see. It's like grabbing a camera, one that, you know, is a little more complicated than you're used to using, and someone hands it to you, and then they say those words, hey, make make sure it's in focus. And you grab the lens, you know, and you're trying to figure it out, and it's going all over the place. And you just take it, because you figure by the time they get it developed, they won't know it was me anyway. But, you know, there's nothing worse than pictures that are out of focus. You get it, and you go, wow, that's... It's a great picture, but, you know, why does she have four heads? You know, it's out of focus. That's what this word means, to, to, to proclaim it clearly, bring it into focus. And then he says, as I should. It's back to that obedience thing. That to, to take this text apart and to say, you know what, do we understand what Paul's saying? We can intellectually get there pretty fast. Pray. Pray for each other that I, I would take some personal responsibility and I would proclaim the good news of Jesus, and I would do it clearly, not fuzzy, clearly, as I should. Again, it's not enough to say it's not my gift, it's not my thing, I, you know, it's somebody else's deal. I'll, I'll set up the chairs, but don't ask me to say anything. I don't know who sets up the chairs, so I can say that, I guess. You know what, it's as I should, it's obedience. Intellectually, we can get around this pretty quick. It's when we try to put this into practice that it gets difficult. 
that's when it gets difficult. It's when we walk out these back doors, when, when we're, we're not the church gathered anymore, we're the church scattered. You see, the, the church meets on Sundays. Sure it does, but it also meets on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thursdays and Fridays, right now you're the church gathered, you come together, you see each other, you give away hugs, you, you do all the things that happen when the church is gathered, but you know the church of Jesus Christ will still be happening tomorrow morning. It'll just show up at schools, in the marketplace, and business, and neighborhoods, and all, still the church. But you know, this verse gets a little difficult when we move beyond the intellectual understanding to, how do I do that? I want to make two assumptions this morning. Assumption number one, I, I don't need to convince you that this is necessary. I, I'm, I'm not going to spend my time telling you that evangelism is necessary and sharing Jesus with people is necessary. I'm just going to make that assumption that we're on the same page, that we think that's important. I'll leave that to somebody else. That's assumption number one, that you know what's necessary. And assumption number two is that we're not very good at it. We're not very good at it. And most of the time we avoid or we struggle, or we leave it up to somebody else. We want what Paul says here, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. We want, like Paul, to say, you know what, in spite of my circumstances, I'm in jail, this isn't easy, but ask God, you pray for me, that, that I would bring it, proclaim it, and bring it into focus clearly. That's what we want. But it gets a little tough. Even the word, when I say evangelism, boy, I, I, I'd love that. I'd love to take a survey this morning and, and just say, you know what, what comes to your mind? What do you think? What do you feel? Boy, we, we, we get sweaty. We, we get a little nervous. One of the things that comes to my mind immediately, I cannot think of evangelism without thinking about a breath mint. When I was in college, I took a class, Evangelism Explosion. And the guy teaching this class, a great class, but he was just paranoid about breath mints. And he constantly told the whole class, it wasn't just me, it was the whole class. You know what, you need a, you need a breath mint, don't forget your breath mint, and, and when you go up there, take the breath mint, and, and you know, get this, and he would just say it over and over and over again. And before we went out, you know, we would, because there was a practical part of it too, we would learn, and then we had to go out and share our faith. And he would say, oh, I get out the breath mints, you know, pass those things out. It was like the worst thing you could do is share about Jesus with bad breath. I don't know. I'm sure that, you know, we've done it and you've done it. And, and I would like to believe that God's even bigger than halitosis. You know, God's bigger than that. But when I think about evangelism, that's one of the things that comes to my mind. Ooh, breath mint. You know, do I have one of those? You know, the second thing that comes to my mind is pressure. Pressure and failure. I remember as a high school student, junior in high school, wanting to serve God. Went away to a conference with our youth group, and it was all about the subject of telling people about Jesus. And man, I was so convicted during that weekend. So convicted, because I, I, I went to a public high school, American high school in Fremont, and I hung out there, about nine of us, eight of the guys I hung out with didn't know Jesus. I was the only one. Which was great, but also, you know, felt so, so convicted that weekend that, that I have to share. And I remember, you know, getting up Monday morning, coming back from that weekend, and, and, and I walked to school every day with a guy named Miles Kawabi. 
He's a buddy of mine. We went to school together. We played sports together. We did a lot of things. Miles didn't know Jesus. He knew that I went to church. He knew I was a Christian. But, you know, I, I hadn't done a real good job of, of trying to figure this thing out. And, and I remember waking up Monday morning saying, today's the day. Today, I'm, I'm going to tell him. And, and, and we're walking to school and, you know, I grab my backpack and, and we're walking and I hit the first couple streets and, and, and the pressure is just building in my heart. God, gotta tell him, gotta tell him, gotta tell him. And I, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. Get to the next street and oh, I couldn't do it. Finally, I, school's in sight, you know, we're passing this park and I'm thinking to myself, before the park finishes, I'm gonna tell him about Jesus. Tremendous pressure. And finally, you know, the, the grass is going by me, and you know, it's like, you know, slow motion or whatever it is. And, and finally, I, I just, oh, I got to do it. So I grab him, and I said, Miles, I got to tell you about God, and I got to tell you about Jesus. He loves you. And, and I just went to this weekend, and, and I need to tell you about Jesus. And, you know, Miles' his eyes are just like, you know, he's huge. He's looking at me like, dude, you're a freak, man. What's the matter with you? You're taking drugs. You're doing something. Stop. And I stumbled my way through telling him about Jesus. You know, he's just kind of going, let go of me, man. What's your, what's a problem? And I remember letting him go and saying something. And we stumbled into high school and thinking to myself, whew, I don't think that went so well. <laughs> it's a great weekend, but I don't think that went so well. You know, he didn't, he didn't drop to his knees. He didn't come to Christ. Whew. Maybe that's not a great technique. <laughs> you know what? A lot, lot for me was, was thinking about evangelism as technique. And one of the things that God has been drilling in my life, and I want to share with you, is that sharing Jesus is not a technique. It's not. It's, it's about who you are. It's about your life. You know, what, what Paul said here was, pray for me that I can proclaim and I can bring it into focus. It, it's, it's, you know what, in, in the midst of prison, prison food and prison stuff and you know, whatever he has facing, pray that I could keep Jesus in, in focus and proclaim it and make it clear. I, I think sometimes I ask myself the question, why... Why, why aren't we more effective as Christians? Why aren't we doing a better job at bringing people to Christ? And, and I don't know about you, I, you know, boy, could we be honest enough to ask that question? Why, why aren't we more effective? Why, why aren't more people at least being able to hear about Jesus? You know, they, they've got to make their decision, and, and, and it's not about drilling somebody or... You know, we're done as soon as we, we try to do it. It's, it's about saying, you know what, why aren't more people getting a, an honest opportunity to ask the questions? That, you know, what, what's, what's God really about? And, and, and what about God's word? And, and Jesus, what, you know, what's up with him? And, and just some honest dialogue. Why, why aren't we better at that? I think sometimes it's, it's people's personal hurt and disillusionment. Something's happened in their life, and, 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 and something happened, uh, uh, somebody, you know, was hurt, or there was something happened, and, and they drew the conclusion that, you know what, if this is what God is about, I don't want anything to do with them. And that happens. It happens. 
Sometimes it's, it's background or misconceptions. You know, I, I grew up this way. A, a buddy of mine named Bob in Quito, he shared with me not too long ago that, that he grew up with his mom just dragging him by the ear to church. He hated church. And his mom dragged him every week, and, and he just said, you know what, I, I didn't want anything to do with that. It wasn't until I was an adult that I actually, someone actually asked my opinion. And, and it wasn't a have-to thing. Sometimes it's, it's background misconceptions. Sometimes people haven't heard I haven't seen it. That, that's hard for us to, to grab a hold of them in our mind. Well, there's really people that haven't heard about Jesus, but there are. It's amazing. Maybe they think they know something about God, but it's amazing how many people that I talk to, not just in Ecuador, not just in South America, sometimes in the good old U.S. of A., that you know what, they, they just they really have never heard the, the truth about Jesus. They, they got their own misconceptions, but nobody's ever sat down with an honest discussion. You know, those, those are, there's, there's a lot of reasons. And again, we could brainstorm that. We could ask ourselves, why aren't we being more effective? Why aren't people actually, you know, being presented with truth? And, and some of those things I shared with you, personal hurt, background, people haven't seen it. A lot of those things are outside of our control. But the thing I want to zero in on just for a few minutes this morning, I think the number one reason sometimes people aren't coming to Christ is because of us, because of Christians. You know, as George Barna in 1998 took a massive survey across the U.S. and said, you know what, well, people that, that, that don't name the name of Jesus, people that aren't interested, what, what, why aren't you interested? And, and the number one answer that came back was the reason I'm really not interested in Jesus is because of Christians. That's a tough one to swallow. But you know what, if, if you and I want to be committed to honesty, if, if we want to be committed to saying, you know what, I want to live like Paul. I, I want to say that. Pray for me that I could bring the gospel clearly into focus. But sometimes we've got to take a look at honest and brutal stuff. And say, you know what, if it's about us, then maybe we need to talk about us. Maybe we need to think about our lives. Evangelism is not something you do. I believe it's something you are. And this morning, I want, to, I want to challenge you just three things to think about. If you would say this morning, you know what, I, I, I want to be like Paul. I, I want to say that. Pray for me. Well, I know you pray for me. I know that I pray for you. We pray for each other. For the courage, for the opportunities. But, but what does it mean for us to proclaim it clearly, bring it into focus? Three things that I want to challenge you to think about. Number one, if this is the goal of our heart, and we say, you know what, we want, we want to really approach what we can think about. We want to be brutally honest. Number one, I want to commit you, ask you to commit your life to consistency. Consistency. Does what you say and what you do, do those two things match up? Do they match up? Or do we come together on a Sunday and say, you know what, Here, here's the Sunday fill. And the Sunday fills stand and share and teach and preach and, and love and hug and eat donuts and do all the stuff that we do. But, but the Monday fill, boy, the Monday fill's different. Like truth be told, the only thing the same about the Monday fills, the Sunday fills, the donuts. We need to commit ourselves to consistency. You, you, you need to commit yourself to say, you know what, do, do what I say and, and what I do, do they match up? Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about some goal that we can't attain. I'm talking about a commitment to saying what I say and what I will do will be the same. 
There's a reason there are no Christian bumper stickers on my car. There is a reason that there's not a fish on the back of my car. Because i got to be really honest, that drives me crazy. To be flying down the freeway and to be cut off by somebody who, you know, salutes me or whatever, and the last thing I see is the little fish on the back of their car. Eating up the Darwin thing, going, yeah, great, you got a lot of truth there. But man, it sure didn't impact the way you drive. You know what? You, you got a lot of truth there. You got a lot of cool things going on. You, you look great in the suit, but you know it, it sure doesn't impact the way you treat your neighbors. It sure doesn't seem to make a difference in the way I do business or life or marriage or my kids. You see, I think somehow there's a myth that if I know it in my head and I know Jesus and I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, that's enough. That's incredible, but it's not enough. And what Paul says is, you know what, I want to proclaim it clearly, 24-7, 365. Consistency. Consistency. It's why Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 2.8, we came enough to not only share the gospel, but to share our very lives with you. Why, Paul, why would you come and share your life? Well, why not just come and share the gospel? Because Paul said, my life, what you see in my life, better be the gospel. It better match up with the gospel. And I think sometimes we get ourselves in trouble as Christians because we say all the right things and we don't do a whole lot of them. We can have a great Sunday conversation, but somehow it gets lost on Monday. Or Tuesday. You know, I'm reminded as a parent that my kids will not remember any of my great lectures. They will not. Austin, I told you, he's the king in our house. He recently, not too long ago, I I was in the middle of an incredible lecture with Austin. It was one of my better ones. I don't know what he did. He he did something, and, and and I was just drilling him. You know, I, I had the lecture going. I had him on his bed, and, and, and I had three points. Every good lecture has three points. And I'm, I'm going to town with him. I'm saying, buddy, I don't know what you were thinking. And, you know, yeah, well, I'm working on number one, and I'm giving it to him. And then, you know, number two, and, and I'm halfway through number two, and he raises his hand. This is not participation, buddy. This is me about lecturing you. And he says, I'm, I'm sorry, Dad, what, what number are we on? <laughs> Just like, you don't get it, all right? This is supposed to be one of my best lectures. He knows that there's three points coming, so he's just sort of pacing himself. You know, Dad, do I need to get a drink or anything? Or, You know what, he, he's not going to remember any of my great lectures. But I guarantee you he will remember my life. Parents, we want to talk about evangelism with your kids. What they see. What are they going to take away from your house? They might take a portfolio. They might take something. They're going to say things that they, you know, heard you say. That's a scary thing as a parent. Open my mouth and my dad speaks. 
It happens. You know what happens to all of us? We're, we're not going to walk away with great lectures, but we're going to walk away with what our parents lived out in front of us. And your kids are going to walk away with what you live out in front of them. Now, at the end of the day, they, they have to make their own decisions. You, you, there's no such thing as ancestral faith. You know what? If your parents knew Jesus, you still have to make a decision about Jesus. There'll be no, you know, grandkids, Christians in heaven. We're all first generation Christians. So at the end of the day, your, your kids do have to make their decisions. But what do they hear from you? What do they see from you? Your coworkers will not remember your bumper sticker or your pins or any of those things. They'll remember your life. They will remember your life. Your neighbors. See, when we talk about are we committing ourselves to consistency, that's what we have to commit ourselves to. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that I will not be disqualified when I'm done preaching. What was he afraid of? Was he afraid that somehow his sermons weren't going to take root? No. Was he afraid somehow that God's word wasn't going to be effective? No. He was afraid that somehow his life would contradict his message. And so he said, you know what, I, I, all things are permissible to me. I, was Paul free? Are you free? Am I free? You bet we are. We are free in Christ. But he said, you know what, in the midst of that freedom, make sure you choose wisely so that your behavior doesn't contradict what you're saying. This is sobering stuff for me to grapple with. Tomorrow, as I travel on a plane, Next week, as I stand in line to pay bills, as I interact with all sorts of people, do those people see Jesus? Because the reality, and I'll say this a few times this morning, they may come to your church. They may. Probably not. But you know who they're going to see? They're going to see you. They're going to see me. And we have to commit ourselves to consistency if we're going to proclaim the message clearly. We have to commit ourselves to be brutally honest in our own lives and say, Lord, today as I move throughout my day, am I consistent or am I inconsistent? There's a huge part of me wants to separate. No, 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 no. Don't separate. God wants to be Lord in your life over every area. It's not perfection. It can be a little overwhelming. But say, Lord, what, what part of my life do I need to be a little more consistent in what I say and what I do? We've got, we got to pursue consistency. Number two, we have to commit ourselves to people. We've got to commit ourselves to people, not just the task of reaching people. We have to commit ourselves to people. I was standing at Hume Lake a few years ago with a bunch of other youth pastors. And we were standing around talking about youth ministry. And, and one guy says, I love youth ministry. It's just the kids I don't really like. <laughs> what? Now, I think he was kidding. I'm not sure. But, boy, it's easy to have that attitude. I love the church. It's just the people I don't like. Oh, I, I, I love whatever it is. We have to commit ourselves to people. People that are like us and people that are very different than us. 
people that we get along with well and people that we say, man, they irritate us. People that choose well and people who choose poorly. I don't see Jesus, I don't see Paul walking through the crowds and saying, well, you, you and you, I want to share Jesus with you. It's you guys over here. You, know, you, you, you woman caught in adultery. Whoa, you know, woman at the well, you know, the whole, how many husbands? What? Well, you know, we'll just pick our way through the people that, you know, make us feel better. The people that can do something for me. People that are like me. I don't see Jesus doing that. If anything, I see him going out of his way to find people different. People that were shunned. Little kids that nobody wanted around. Women that had, you know, made some really poor choices and were dying inside for someone to say, You matter. I value you. You see, the reality for Christians an awful lot of time in our lives, the longer we know Jesus, the less we know anybody who's not like us. And sometimes that's to our shame. Pray that I would proclaim it clearly as I should. Did Paul need to proclaim it clearly to other people who already knew Jesus? No. He needed to proclaim it clearly. In his situation, to people in jail. In your situation, it may be people in the marketplace. It may be people that you rub shoulders and elbows with. We need to commit ourselves to those people. You know what? A couple things I wrote down. We need to listen more than we talk. We need to listen more than we talk. When we think about, you know, getting out there and sharing Jesus, we always think about verbal. It was the wisdom of my mom who said, you know what? You have two ears and one mouth. Use them that way. That's a long time ago, but that's some good, good stuff. Stuff that I've told my kids. You know what? Two ears, one mouth. Use them that way. Somehow when, when we come to proclaiming the gospel clearly, we think that it's all about verbal. It's not. It's a saying that's been said many, many times that... People don't care what you know until they know that you care. It's true. It's not just a cliche. Listen more than you talk. What do you hear when you listen? Dispense more grace than judgment. There's something you think about. Oh, it's so easy to, to dispense judgment. Now let, me, let me tell you about, you know, the dirty dozen, the nasty nine, the filthy five, all these things that you can't do. Let me, let me tell you about all these things in your life. God made us to be lovers, not judgers. God never asked you and I to be a judge. In fact, he says, you know what, I'm okay with that duty. Oh, we need wisdom and we need discernment, but never judgment. God never calls you or calls me in Scripture to judge somebody else. But when people came to Jesus and said, you know what, what's this whole thing about? Can you boil it down, Reader's Digest version, just give me the small stuff. Jesus said, well, it's pretty simple. Love, love God with all your heart and love the people around you. And everything else hangs on these two things. When, when the disciples looked at Jesus and said, I, I'm not sure we can do this. 
yeah, we can't communicate like you, Jesus. We can't do the whole miracle thing. And I'm not sure we can do it. How are we going to do this? He said, you know what? People will know that you're my disciples. How? If you love one another. If you thought about yourself for a second just as a giant salt shaker. Just go with me on this, okay? You're a giant salt shaker. In my house, it's glass, and it's got a little metal lid on it. It's got holes all over the place on the top. If, if you suddenly were a salt shaker, and, and you just shake yourself throughout the day. Again, I said, go with me on it. I'll ask you a question. What comes out? What comes out? You know what comes out? What comes out is what's on the inside. If you're a salt shaker, then you go, yeah, salt, that's pretty simple. Well, this guy's not so smart. But if you were a salt shaker, my question is, you know, what, what's inside? Does judgment come out? Does negativity come out? Sometimes we stand at the marketplace and we're so negative. Man, let me tell you about these seven things. And they're all negative. Number eight is the joy of Jesus. What? We need to dispense a whole lot more grace than judgment. Not just because it's connected with evangelism, because that's what God's done for us. How much grace has God sprinkled into your life? How many times has He forgiven your sin? Does God ever reach a point where He says, Enough, you're done? Never. <coughs> Never. God continues to spill grace and forgiveness and love into your life. And we need to do the same thing. We need to listen more than we talk. We need to dispense more grace and judgment. I think committing ourselves to people, the third thing is we need to live with what I'll call airplane travel pressure syndrome. Airplane travel pressure syndrome. I get to travel on an airplane occasionally, and I mix with people who travel on airplanes. And I don't know what it is about an airplane, but sometimes people get on an airplane, and they feel amazing amounts of pressure to share Jesus. Maybe it's because they're sitting next to somebody really close. Maybe because they're close to death. I don't know what it is. But people somehow look at the cabin of an airplane as the place to share Jesus. And they look for any bridge that they can build, you know. Stewardess comes by, you know, are, are you cold? You need a blanket? You won't be cold in hell. Let me tell you about this. <laughs> you know? Well, stewardess comes by and says, you know, would, would you like the pasta or the chicken? You better choose now while you can. You know, whatever it is, we build some bridge because we feel this amazing amount of pressure in an airplane. Now, there is nothing wrong with sharing Jesus in an airplane. Now, I was going to say that I'm not making fun of that, but, but I actually am. I don't mean to be offensive, but i got to ask myself a question. Why don't I feel that pressure and that commitment and that concern and that desire all the time? If I'm committed to people, why don't I see everybody that way? Why is it that I can go to the same coffee shop for years and not think about those people's needs? Why is it that I can live next door to somebody and not think about them? If I'm committed to people, I need to have that same commitment and care. 
I want to challenge you to commit yourself to consistency. Number two, commit yourself to people. And the third thing is commit yourself to God moments. God moments. Here's the reality that we have to understand. You cannot save anybody. You can't. You you cannot bring anybody to Christ. That's an act of God. And so we need to look for those God moments. One of those God moments is in Acts chapter 8. I'm not going to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story. Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and, and the eunuch has been up in the big city, and, and he's studying Scripture. Philip is someone trying to be obedient to God, and, and, and God says to him, go to the road. He must have asked the question, what road? Because the very next part of Acts 8 says, go to the desert road. And, and if there's a, a kind of an interaction between, you know, God and, and Philip, it, you know, Philip's saying, well, well, what road? The desert road. Oh, 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 you want me to share my faith? And God says, no, I don't want you to. I just want you to stand there for a minute because there's a chariot coming. What, what chariot? I don't see a chariot. It's coming. It'll be there. And the chariot comes and, and, and you know, Philip, okay, so you, you want me to go to this? No, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to stand there on the road. And pretty soon the guy comes along and he's reading scripture. And Philip, standing on the road, standing by the chariot, hears it. And he asks a question. Do you you understand what you're reading? It's a God moment. God was already at work. Sometimes we're so arrogant as Christians to think that we have to make it happen. And the brutal truth is that God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. God wants you. God values you. God sent his son to die for you. But he says, you know what? Look for those God moments. My life needs to be consistent. I need to commit myself to people around me, and then I need to look for those moments. It's a great story in Acts 8. Look it up sometime. It says the man invited Philip into his chariot. It wasn't a moment that he made. He was invited. Part of that is because he was quiet enough to listen to God. Sometimes there's so much noise going on in my life that I don't listen. So God may be saying, you know what, here comes a God moment, and and I I don't hear it because I'm not listening. I think there's God moments in your life every single day. There's God moments in my life every single day. Because you know God's heart, that's what he wants. God created us to, to walk with him. That's how it all started. And out of our own choices, we've walked away, and God loves us enough to say, if that's what you want to do, you want to walk away, you can. And the big idea for God is reconciliation. It's it's bringing people back to understand who he is. And you know what? If if i got to boil it all down, that's what this is all about. It's about reconciliation. It's about God saying, you know what? I would love for you to come back. And you and I occasionally get the privilege of standing there to explain that. Those are God moments. I had a short-term team down not too long ago, and they were in the jungle doing ministry. And the pastor we were working with said, the ministry I'd love for you to do is go door-to-door and and share the gospel. So our students that were there on the short-term team did it. And they came back a little frustrated. You know, nothing happened. So well, you know what? You don't know that nothing happened. You know, God's word went out, and and and. But what did they want? They wanted people to come to Christ. Two days later, they were doing a kids' club in a completely different part of Ecuador, 
and they were kind of sharing with kids, and they were doing these witness bracelets, the, the little colored beads, you know, black and green and yellow and white and red. Not in that order, but those, those were the colors. And at this kids' club that they were at, there was a birthday party, just like the one we had in here a little bit ago. And, and these parents came to the birthday party, and they're hanging out, and they looked around, these little simple little craft, and, and it was a kids' club. Remember, we were, this team was pointed towards the kids, and, and, and all of a sudden, parents walked up and said, hey, what, what, what's going on? Okay, can we, can we, you know, it's kind of cool, can we have one of those? So a handful of parents who came for the birthday party at the kids' club came over, and they put these little bracelets on, and one of the parents said, you know what, what does this mean? And, and one of the guys with us on this team walked over and said, well, let me, let me explain it to you. He explained just simple color and simple beads. Six adults right there at the kids' club birthday party came to Christ. And you go, you know, what was that all about? When, when we wanted to go out and do door-to-door stuff, and there's nothing wrong with door-to-door stuff. It's a way. It's great. But when we, we wanted to do that, it just seemed like nothing happened. And all of a sudden over here at a kids' club, six people come to Christ. What's that about? It's about a God moment. And it's about asking God right here in the midst of it, if I'm going to pray to proclaim the message clearly, God, help me to see those moments. Help me to see those moments. I'm convinced that God wants people coming to him. I'm convinced God wants people to have an honest look at him. I I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. It's it's just our privilege like Paul to say, you know what, pray for me. I'll pray for you that, that, that we would proclaim it clearly, bring it into focus. It's our job just to hold Jesus up consistently in our lives, consistently with people, looking for those moments. And and when we get a chance to hold Jesus up, God says he'll he'll do the rest. He'll draw people to himself. That's what he's about. I'm convinced that if we're consistent and we commit ourselves to people and we look for those God moments and we don't just see them, but we seize them, God will be honored. And that's what it means for you here, for you wherever God takes you this week, to proclaim the message clearly, as we should. Let's pray together. And just before I pray, I want to just give you a few seconds to be honest before God. Was there an area of your life you need to be a little more consistent? Maybe, maybe you need to ask God to help you commit yourself to people a little more. Maybe you need to ask Him to help you see God moments. Lord, again, there's nothing in and of myself that I have to say. But I thank you that your word has a lot to say. So take it by your spirit. Long after my words are forgotten, I just pray that yours would be clearly upon our hearts. Let's ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the privilege of just sharing what's going on. 
And I, I think the last thing I would just say is maybe you're, you're hanging out here today. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. And you say, you know what, I, man, it's just not real clear for me. It's not in focus. Challenge you to ask somebody today. What, what, what is God all about? What is God's word about? What, what's this about Jesus being clearly in focus? I, I, you know, I just got some questions. Ask them. Don't be afraid to ask them. And if you're on the end where someone asks you, be honest. Share. Share what's going on. You guys have a great day.